Amen to that. I hope that song we just sang is your prayer for this morning. Uh, you may have a seat. Um, it is good to be here uh, this morning. If you are visiting, I'm Pastor Eric. I'm the children's pastor. And this is, this is kind of a special Sunday for me uh, because this is actually my first Sunday being over here in the big building. And I have to say, I have just been overwhelmed with uh, being able to be together in one body, singing together, the sound, um, the sight of just seeing everyone worshiping the Lord. I am excited, uh, almost excited as I am when I'm on the other side of the street worshiping with the kids. Um, and things are going great over there. We love, we love our space. We love uh, worshiping Jesus, learning about Jesus. But I'm excited to be here this morning. I wanted to start off by sharing with you that in a couple weeks, something big is happening, a big kind of celebration anniversary for our family. In a couple weeks, it marks one year of the Malone family having moved into our new house. And uh, we are, <laughs> it's pretty exciting, let me tell you. Um, we're pretty excited. I'm excited. I can't believe a year has already passed. Uh, I can't believe that we bought a house during COVID, um, but we are so grateful and so thankful to have a home. But as many of you know, with home ownership comes responsibility, right? And uh, I wanted to share with you one of the first responsibilities uh, my wife and I got to take part of when we moved into our house just six days after moving in. And, uh, and, and I have a little video and just a little context here. This video is me. I, I sent this to a dear friend, uh, uh, Steve, Steve Groders, and uh, I needed his help. And so I was just kind of giving him a lay for the land of what was happening. And so we might not have a video. Hey, Steve, I just, I'm uh, cutting it in and you can see I haven't even broken it down, but I'm just letting it drain. Down below, we had, uh, there's quite a bit of water up there, so I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like what I see when I get the drywall all out, so. Surprise! Wow. So I was, uh, you know, we saw that and we're like, all right, here we go. My first attempt was to convince Cheryl that we bought a house with a uh, water fe indoor water feature. She did not buy that. So at that point, we had a few options, right? Option A was, you know, let's just leave it. And, you know, the, the sound of water can be relaxing. It's a white noise. Cheryl wasn't down for that. Uh, option B was, hey, let's just take some duct tape and paint and, you know, just kind of patch it up and maybe it'll go away, right, if we just close our eyes. Cheryl wasn't a fan of that. Option C was, let's maintain this. Let's cut it open. Let's fix it, all right? Now, you think I would stop at option C, but there's actually option D. Thank you, Steve Groders, for mentioning the idea of wiping out a wall and putting up shiplap. Okay, and guess what option Cheryl chose? Uh, so, thus began our endeavor of maintaining our house and fixing our house up. That's kind of, you know, starting tearing it down, and then you can go to the next picture. That was the end result. All right, now... I'm not bragging because I had a lot of help on that project. I did not do it al alone, which was actually one of the many blessings that occurred 
through this process of having to maintain an aspect of our house. I got to learn a little bit uh, on uh, building and carpentry, and I got to build some relationships with other guys and other friends. And uh, in, the, in the end, we had a open, more open space in our entryway that we were very happy with. That probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. And, uh, but the, the, the important thing is, and I think you all can agree, that had I chosen option A or B of ignoring it or just putting duct tape over it, that would have been the wrong solution. Can I get an amen on that one? All right. We all have things that require maintenance, right? Whether it's a house, a car, a bike, a coffee machine, that's me, all right? Whatever it is, we all have things that require maintenance in life. Well, we have just spent the last few weeks as a church talking about Christian community, living in Christian community, and Pastor Brian has unpacked that, and he has shared and explained the uniqueness of Christian community, how it is a community that is unlike anything else in the world that we get to tar- take part in, and it's, and, it's a, and it's a community that we have that's centered and focused on one person, on Jesus Christ. And he also unpacked what, what, what is involved in Christian community. Well, now that we know about this community that we are a part of, that we are stepping into, this week we are going to talk about maintaining the unity in community. Maintaining the unity in community. And I want to be very clear on something as we start this, okay? This is not a message. We are not looking at a passage where I am trying to convince you to join community, all right? That is not what this is because I'm making an assumption here. And the assumption is that as we are following Jesus, we have embraced and stepped into community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Community, being a part of community, is not an option here. Paul is not saying, if you're a part of the community of Christ, he is assuming that that is happening. And so that is, that is, this is not a, um, a message to convince you on community. This is a message on how we maintain the unity of the community that you are in. All right, and so, and, and, and that's because the road to spirituality, to spiritual maturity, is never walked in isolation. And because it's never walked in isolation, that's why we need to learn how to maintain unity in Christian community, because we are all part of it. So with that said, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read the text, and we are in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. This is what Paul said. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord of one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Will you join me as we ask and pray for the Lord's blessing on our time? 
Father, we come to you with, with open hands, and just as we sang earlier, we, are, we want you, Father. We want to know you, and at this time as we look into your word, we know that it is only through the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and our hearts that we can know you, that we can change, and so we are asking for your Holy Spirit to move. Lord, speak through me. May it be your words that are heard, and may you speak into the every heart that is here this morning so that we can be changed and conformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, and may you be glorified through what happens, and we pray these things in Christ. Christ's name. Amen. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 4, and, and we have to understand where we are, right? Whenever you're reading the Bible, there's, there's three really important things to understand, all right? They are context, context, and context. You see that there? Okay. Knowing where we, we are parachuting right into the middle of a letter that Paul wrote to a group of believer, believers in Ephesus. And so it's kind of like we're picking up the phone in the middle of a conversation, and it's kind of important to know what just happened. And so the first three chapters of this letter, Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, and he wanted them to understand the richness and the riches of God's grace and the salvation that they had. And he wanted the believers to understand the rich inheritance that they had as children of God. And so the first three chapters, Paul lays this all out. And it's, and it's a lot of, if you will, doctrine, a lot of theology about the rich grace of God and what we have as his children. And now here we are in chapter four, and this is where Paul begins to work it out. And the, this is, starting in chapter 4, the application of what it means to have experienced the rich grace and salvation of God. So we're getting to the practical part, the nitty-gritty. What does this look like in my life? And so he says, as Paul says, so in light of everything that you heard, because he says, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you know what you need to do? You need to know what it's there for, okay? And it's there for, so based on everything that you have heard me say, based on the salvation you have received, have received, the richness of God's grace, because of all that, he says this, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have called, been called. The first call to action from Paul is an appeal to, for the believer um, to, to walk worthy in light of God's rich grace and salvation. Walk, live, continuously work this out. Be walking in a worthy manner. So how do we do this? Well, Paul goes in to explain this is what it looks like. This is how you are going to walk worthy. And the first thing, now there's a lot of different things that Paul could have started off with. Paul could have said, so to walk worthy, you need to love one another. To walk worthy, you need to help the poor. To walk worthy, you need to fill in the blank. There's a lot of things that Paul could have started this out with. This is what he chose to start off with. The first call to action, to walk worthy, is an appeal for the believer you ready for this? To maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's pretty important. It's pretty important. And in verse 3, that's what Paul is saying. He says, you need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Notice that he says eager to do this, all right? Just like I was eager to maintain the leak in my house, right? You know, if we're being honest, maintaining something isn't always something that we are excited about. How many of you are like, whoo, it's time to maintain my car? There's about three of you, okay? This is, maintaining something isn't always fun. It's laborious. It's unplanned. It's not expected. It's not what we want to do. And yet Paul says you need to be eager. You have to be looking for the opportunities to do this. You need to be ready to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I want to thank Rich for his prayer this morning, but he, he kind of stole one of the things I was going to say. He, he had good news and bad news. Well, I've got good news and bad news, all right? The good news about what he says here in verse 3 of maintaining the unity of, of, of peace, the good news is that we are maintaining it. Thank goodness we do not have to create peace with one another. That would be an impossible task. So the good news is we don't have to make or stir up or create a unity with one another. The bad news, unity is ours to break. The good news, it's there. We've got it. It's in Christ. The bad news, it's ours to break. And so we have to maintain it. All right? The question is, why do we need to maintain unity? Can't we just like kind of coast and just let it be? Cheryl, can I just let that leak just work its way out? You know, water follows gravity. We'll have a stream bed. Mm -mm. Why do we need to maintain unity? Because unity always decays when we don't pursue it. Unity will always decay and fall apart if we don't pursue it. You don't have to look far or think hard to see the reality of how unity can just fall apart and decay. You can just look at our nation. Our nation seems to be in some of its darkest days of division as we wrestle with so many political and social issues. And, and you can see the unity of our country is being frayed apart, is being torn. That's on a grand scale. At a closer level, just look at churches across America to see how many are struggling with division. There was a Barna research poll um, taken, and it recently shared that over the last 18 months, nearly 30% of pastors have seriously considered leaving the pulpit. We're not talking about, I'm going to go to another church. We're talking about throwing in the towel. Numbers unheard of before um, the pandemic. Churches have split in record numbers. The churches obviously place something above the call to maintain unity. We look within the churches around us, And we can even look at ourselves and we can see that division is ripe and ready to rot away. And yet we can also look even closer to our own personal relationships. This last year, I haven't talked with one person who has not been impacted by the pandemic, by the social and political things happening. I haven't talked to one person who said, all my relationships are great. I haven't had any issues with family or close friends. I haven't heard that. Our relationships today have been put through the fire. Maintaining unity in our community is a challenge right now. We don't have to look far to understand that if we don't maintain unity, it will always decay. All right, so we get the idea. We got it, Pastor Aaron. 
We got to maintain unity. How do we do that? Well, I don't know, but Paul does. And so he gives us three areas of how we can maintain unity. In verse 2, the first thing we see is that we maintain unity in community when we are humble. We maintain unity when we are humble. Paul pulls no punches here. He goes right to the issue, and he says that our ego is a huge problem for unity. Our ego gets in the way of unity within community with others. And so he says, you need to be humble. And here, humility has the idea of a lowliness of mind. Now, this would not have been a popular idea among the Greeks, because for someone to have a mentality of of a lowliness of mind, of serving others, putting needs of others before theirs, this would have been the mindset of the slaves and of the servants. And so for the Greeks, this was appalling. This was laughable. The idea that you you want to have humility, and yet Paul calls Jesus' followers to practice humility first. Because humility is a, uh, because pride is a problem of our ego. And if our ego is a problem, then God's grace is the solution. Humility is the awareness that all we have is from God. Everything. You got a nice car? Cool. You got a big house? Awesome. You got a great job? Sweet. You got an amazing family that makes really good Instagram photos? Awesome. It's all from God. You wouldn't have any of it if God didn't give you life and the abilities and the talents that you have. Everything comes from God, but it starts with humility. It starts with this awareness that everything I have comes from Him. And so the humble person refuses to value their self above others, especially when regarding their own opinions. And Paul goes on. The next thing he says, he says, so be humble, and then he talks about being gentle. And this is kind of an outflow of being humble. Gentleness is a component and a byproduct of humility. Gentleness demonstrates the care that one has for something based on the value they place on it. Let me explain through the analogy of riding bikes. I have a picture here of, it's not the exact bike, but it's very similar to the bike that I, stop laughing, uh, that I learned how to ride uh, a bike on. I was uh, six or seven or eight or nine or ten years old when I learned how to ride the bike. My brothers uh, were gracious to, to teach me, but what you need to understand is this bike is rusty the, the, the seat's probably tearing. The, the chains are like rickety and rackety. I learned on this bike, so that was good. But I was a little resentful because it was a hand-me-down. I wanted a new shiny bike. I didn't care about this bike. Well, as any good child, I was riding my bike down our long gravel driveway, and I was skidding, and one day I skidded too much, and I wiped out. And of course, it was the bike's fault. So I start kicking that bike. I was so angry with my puny little arms. I tried to pick it up and throw it. I couldn't, so I just dropped it. 
But I was so angry. And my mom looked out the window, and I remember it. She says, Eric, what are you doing? And I, you know, I'm just like screaming. And I'm like, this bike, it's stupid bike. It made me crash. Well, I'm kicking it. And she says, that is not how we treat our things. Go inside. You can't ride your bike for the rest of the week. Oh, man. That was one story. Now let's go to the next picture. Check out this. This, my friends, is a Kmart Blue Light Special, brand spanking new Huffy Mountain Bike. When I was about 12 or 13, I saved for months and months and months to have enough money to buy this bike. Now, this isn't the exact one. I got to be honest. This isn't the exact. Mine was like sparkling green. It was, it was beautiful. I worked so hard to, rate, to, to earn money to save for that bike. When I bought it, do you think that I kicked it? Do you think that I threw it down? Oh, no. If that bike was falling, I would fall under it. Every time I used it, I was wiping it down with the claws. I, it was shinier every time. Even the tires. I would clean the tires on that thing. I saw the value in that bike because I worked hard, right? I knew all the pop cans that I had to collect and turn in for a five cent uh, to get five cents back. I knew how much work it took. I saw the value. And because I saw the value in that bike, I treated it significantly different than I did the other bike. Church, we need to be gentle. And when we are humble, we begin to see the value in others. We understand the value that God has placed and given to others, not our own perceived values. And when we see that, we can become gentle in how we treat one another because we see the value in them. Gentleness produces consideration for others and a willingness to waive the rights. So we have to be humble, and with that comes a gentleness. And this um, was, has been played out recently in a story recent in uh, Christianity Today put out a, an amazing podcast series, and it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Some of you may be familiar with Mars Hill. It was a very large church in the Seattle area. Um, I did not know about Mars Hill until I was a student in Chicago, but that just goes to show that Mars Hill had a very large effect on churches all over our nation and even around the world. Well, in this podcast, it, it, is, it is recounting the process of how this church and how it, it came to rise and, and how it came to a point of division and falling apart. Now, I want to I say that there are many great things that have come from that church. A lot of growth, a lot of fruit did come from the church and the people who served were at Mars Hill. But as you listen to the podcast, there were a few repeating themes that continued to rise to the top. And some of those themes were dealing with the, the lead pastor, Mark Driscoll. And the two themes were that he lacked humility and he lacked gentleness. There were times at which Mark said, without joking to other people, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. If Pastor Brian, Pastor Nick, or I, or Pastor James ever say that, you have the right to slap us across the face, <laughs> all right? I don't believe that he started out that way, but as his church grew, as the impact grew, the ego grew, and he came to a point to lack humility. 
There were countless testimonies of people who grew up in that, who, who were, were raised and in, in serving in that church, sharing about how he was so abrasive in the relationships that he had with the, with the staff, with, with one another. And so it is no surprise as the series continues on to see that the unity of the church would decay because there was no humility and there was no gentleness being shown. So the first thing to maintain unity, humility. Second, he says in verse 2, we maintain unity in community when we are patient. When we are patient. He says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I love how the early church father, John Chrysostom, um, explained patience from the etymology, the, the origins of the word. And he said, patience here has the idea of, of ha- having a wide, big soul. And so the idea is that to be patient has a heart and a soul that is open and wide and allows the imperfections and annoyances of others into their life, into their premise. And he expounds on this idea of patience, and he says, bearing with one another in love. There's a better translation than bearing with one another. You know what it is? Putting up with one another. That literally is, is a better translation. You, and, and at times when you are in community, guess what? That's the reality. You have got to put up with one another. Now, I'm the youngest brother of three and I look back, and I'm going to be honest, there were times, I know you won't believe it, there were times when I was annoying. <laughs> and I have today a really good relationship with my brothers that I am so thankful for. Now, I'd love to say it's because I'm so awesome. But the reality is I look back is that my brothers were patient with me. But not only were they patient, like they put up with me. I'm not going to tell any stories of how they did that. I just want you to trust that my brothers put up. And as a result, we have a good relationship today that I'm grateful for. Brothers and sisters, the option is not when someone's annoying, walk away. When someone's annoying, push them away. When someone's annoying, put up with them. Be patient with them. When I think of patience, I think of Janice Barney. She was a worker at a small church in Chicago at Mayfair Bible Church, and she worked in the Children's Awana program. And I got to work in this uh, program. You've you probably heard me tell stories before uh, when, I was at, when I was in college. And it was exciting. But the, pro, the, the Awana program had a lot of kids from the inner city. And as a young uh, country boy, that was a different experience for me. And so I go in, and I go into this serving in the Awana program with this, like, pretty uh, not humble attitude of, like, I'm a college student. I'm funny. I had a great head of hair. They're going to love me, right? They're going to just eat up everything I say, and I'm going to change their lives for Jesus, all right? And I went in, and, you know, the first couple weeks, it was a lot of fun. But then they started acting up. They started acting like, well, kids, and I was losing control, and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't handle it. They just did not listen to me. I'm like, I'm going to Bible school. Come on, listen to me. I'm hip. I'm with it. Nothing. And then I look over, and I see Janice. Janice 
Miss Janice, she was an older lady, very small, petite, quiet voice. To give you an idea, she played the organ at the church on Sunday mornings. And there's Janice. I can barely hear her, but what I see are children engaged, looking at her, listening to her. I see a kid running, and stop, behaving right around Miss Janice. It baffled my mind. Why would these kids listen to someone who's, all right, I'm going to be on, older and boring and... Janice was patient with them. Her heart and her soul was so big and so wide open, she let all of their annoyances into her life, and she still loved them. And week after week, month after month, year after year, she would pick them up from their house, bring them to church, drop them off, listen to the craziness, and she loved them. She brought all the annoyances in, and because of that, as a result, she had a place in their lives to speak the truth into their lives. Oftentimes, annoying people, and I say this, we are all annoying at one point in time, just take note. Oftentimes, annoying people get used to people just pushing them aside and saying, I don't have time for you. I can't deal with you. I can't put up with you. And Miss Janice, she was the one who said, I love you. I will take the time with you. I will listen to you. And as a result, they grew. They listened to her. She could speak into their lives. Church, when we're part of a community, we are going to be with people who annoy us. The call is not to walk away from that. The call is to be patient, to welcome them in, speak into their lives. We've got to be patient with one another. Patience is not something you get to skip over, all right? The next section of chapter four is when Paul talks about spiritual gifts. Well, guess what? Patience isn't a spiritual gift. You all have it, and maybe we all need some more of it, but it is not an option here. We have all got to be patient with one another. We maintain unity when we are humble, when we're patient, and finally in verses four through six, we maintain unity when we remember the foundation. This is what Paul says. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Did you hear a word there that kept repeating? One, 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 one. Paul lays out here a beautiful theology of the Trinity and salvation. Why would he do that when he's talking about how we can be living in unity? Well, Paul says this because he needs us to understand that unity is at the core of who we are and of who our Creator is. There is a, a fingerprint on the soul of every human being because we have that fingerprint from our Creator who existed from all eternity past as God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. We we sang about that this morning. I want to thank Pastor James for, for bringing that song into our, uh, into our community. And we sang about the, the fact that we, we have a God who is, yes, three distinct persons, but one essence, one being, one God. And he brings this up because this is in our DNA. This is who our creator is, and this is how he created us to be, to experience relationship in unity just as he always has in perfect unity. And he goes on to explain 
in our salvation that we have one body, one hope, one faith. I'm missing one. Baptism. Baptism service after church, by the way. One, one, one. We were created. Why is this important? I'll tell you why it's important. How many of you ever shopped at Ikea? You'll see where I'm going. Anyone ever gone to Ikea? How many of you have assembled something from Ikea? Okay, so that's the patience aspect, right? How many of you, and I'm expecting some more, more guy hands to go up, have assembled, tried to assemble something without looking at the, blue, the instructions? Okay, a lot of frustration there, right? You know, I'm always amazed with Ikea and how they can package something so, like, compact and make it so heavy. And, and yet, I'm also impressed with, with the instructions. I mean, when I don't follow the instructions, it gets pretty ugly pretty quick. The thing's upside down. It falls apart, all right? But when I do follow the blueprints that they give, I can assemble it. And it always turns out the way it's supposed to be. There may be some other experiences that you have had. Don't take the analogy too far here, all right? But the idea is blueprints matter. They're helpful. And Paul's saying, this is the foundation upon which our unity stands. The blueprint is in our creator who exists as God, the, the Trinity in one, who made us one body. This is the blueprint, blueprint. Remember it. Live by it. So we maintain unity when we are humble, when we are patient, and when we remember the foundation. So what are we going to do with this? My question to you, what are you doing to eagerly, actively maintain unity? The first thing, do not run away or avoid community. Some of you have got to hear this. Some of you for years, maybe even decades, have been avoiding community for a number of reasons that are not good reasons. Why are you running away from community? Spiritual maturity doesn't happen in isolation. We need one another. Don't run away from community. Don't make excuses to avoid community. Because through it, blessings happen. So, I had to ask a lot of these questions myself, all right? And they were hard. But this morning, where's your humility? I honestly think that there are some people here this morning that are so proud that they don't think they need community. You are so proud here this morning. You don't need other people to help you in your walk with Christ. You can do it by yourself. You don't need anyone else. And that is pride speaking. You're in a little dinghy boat floating off by yourself, thinking that you're not hurting anyone, but it's just a bigger picture of the fragmentation of the church. Are we so proud to think that we don't need others in our spiritual walk and growth. Maybe some of us need to repent from being prideful in community. 
of course, this isn't you. It's that other person, you know, who voices their opinion all the time, who won't listen to others, who's right. Everyone should just listen to me. Everyone should just do what I say because if the world did what I said, it would be a better place. I know you never think that. But perhaps we need to repent of pride and we need more humility. Maybe you need to pray for patience. Again, there is no excuse to avoid community because of annoyances. We're told to be patient, open up, and put up with annoyances. Man, what a bummer. Is this really community? Well, I want to go back to um, the house. And when that issue of fixing the leak and maintaining the house came up, it was the last thing I wanted to do. I was not looking forward to it. I was not planning for it. There were so many other things, so many other boxes I had to unpack. However, not only was the end product great and we were happy, but the process taught me a lot. I got to know some great, talented men. And now we have lived in that home for almost a year, and we've gotten to experience an amazing Christmas and a Thanksgiving. And my boys, they're playing baseball constantly in the backyard and kickball constantly. If any of you want to play kickball or baseball, come over to the house. And we have made so many amazing memories. We have shared meals at the table, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful because we have a home that we can enjoy. But it took some work, right? There's always times when you have to maintain something, but there are great blessings that come from it. When you are humble, you will see the fruit in community. When you are patient, you will see people open up and grow and thrive in Christ. When you remember the foundation of who we were created to be, you will be drawn back to understand who our God is. There is blessings. I assure you that living in community and maintaining unity in community is worth it. The blessings far outweigh any inconveniences that we might face. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you so much that you have given us unity in your work and what you have done. And we are so thankful that we don't have to create that. But Lord, we admit to you this morning that it is hard to maintain it. We need your strength. We need you to help us be humble. We need you to help us be patient. Remind us of how you have created us to be in community. Father, this week I know you are going to give us opportunities to practice this. May we be aware of them. May we draw on you for strength. Give us unity. Allow us to maintain that unity. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.